Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, my friends? I hope that you're doing well. In today's episode, we have one of our legacy guests, Chelsea London Lloyd. And Chelsea and I are going to explore death. I know, a hard subject, a subject that for many of us In an ideal world, we would love to avoid, but in reality, we are all going to be impacted by it. This conversation is really beautiful as Chelsea talks about her journey in losing members of her family and the way that she has used that to help change her world. This episode is really beautiful, and to be honest with you, it made me quite emotional when we recorded it. And listening back to it over the course of the last couple of days, Reminded me how beautiful it is to have people in the world who want to create work that helps change the world. And so, without further ado, my friends, Chelsea London Lloyd. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Super excited to be back with another episode. Today, my guest is Chelsea London Lloyd, who is a comedian and grief activist who uses humor to help people cope with their pain, which I am a huge proponent of. Chelsea, my friend, how are you today? What is going on in your world? Great intro. No stuttering, doing it live, making it work. Love that. Um, I am, I'm good. I'm excited to do this that without any editing. I'm, I feel like I'm up to a challenge. I feel like this is like podcast plus, like this is like podcast with a, with a, with like a little boom, like a little extra thing going on. So I'm into that. Yeah, Bring your A game. Um, <laughs> I have to, I have to. I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you because I, I found you on the grams and I was just, I love the way that you use humor in talking about some dark 
And I, I think, for one, I love stand-up comedy. It's been a part of my life since I was a child. Um, so much so that I used to get in trouble for quoting um, Richard Pryor. And so anyway, neither here nor there. Before we, we jump in, I'd love to have you create a little context here. Tell the audience a little bit about High Level, your journey, how you got to where you are and, and where you're at with your life today. Great. Um, just a quick moment of you sharing your whole life. Um, no pressure. No, I'm from the Bay. I've been in L.A. a long time now from USC Theater School and beyond, and I've been pursuing comedy for many years now. I do stand-up. A couple shows I've done as an actress are Barry and Schooled on ABC, and then certainly have a lot of tales about the things that I almost was on and then wasn't and the whiplash of what that looks like. And I host the Comedic Grief podcast, Dying of Laughter, where every week we interview comedians and wellness experts about the losses of their parents and siblings. So I'm super excited to speak with you on my show soon enough. I'm also volunteering as a grief counselor and mentoring a nine-year-old through her grief in a one-on-one -on -one mentorship program. And I just got back from a week-long grief camp where I was grief counseling there. So I have the comedy aspect of my life, the grief aspect of my life, very different things. And then the podcast is the intersection, but happy to talk about both, neither, all of them, none of them, all of the things. Yeah. Well, if we talked about none, then the show would be over. Um, <laughs> it's over. Goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. This was truly a blast. We appreciate you. <laughs> I, I think that where, I, where I'd like to start, because I, I believe that it's very important, is to look at and, and discuss and talk about what grief actually is and means. Um, I, I found that throughout my own journey, that's been something I've had to wrap my head around, um, having multiple losses in my life. And it's a part of the human experience. And for whatever reason, because of the, the social structures of the world that we live in today, it's, it's almost as if at times there's not space to have grief, to not mourn. It's kind of like, all right, onto the next thing, keep your life going. You know, we'll, we'll light a candle every now and again. Talk to us about like, what, what is grief? How do you define it? And, and what does that mean? Love that. I think that grief is the feelings that come up for you around specifically loss of a person or individual. And yet it can also be an experience, a life change, such as many of us who feel like we experienced grief last year through the COVID-19 experience and the pandemic. So it's the feelings that you have surrounding your, your deepest, darkest tragedies and how you also move through that and move forward. So I feel like there's a negative connotation surrounding grief, and it's certainly a taboo topic. Even to this day, even with the communities doing their best, the grief world trying to become more open about everything. But I think there's still a lot more work to be done so that we can take the stigma around from talking about sadness, you know, as the American way goes, how are you? I'm good. I'm fine is the default. It's almost as if you don't say that there's something wrong with you. It's almost as if something um, it's almost as if if someone's asking you, they're hoping that you just say you're good so that you can continue to talk about positive things, which is why I'm a fan of the open ended question. How are you feeling rather than you good or how's it going? That kind of elicits like a yes or no. I'm good or I'm not good response. So big fan of open ended questions and um, exploring the darker as well as the comedic and lighter sides of what grief means. Yeah. Why, why do you think this is something I had a, a hard time wrapping my head around until I really kind of dove into understanding, I guess, social structures a little bit more in depth. But to peg it, if you could, why do you think that there is such a, 
oh my gosh, the word that I want to use here is like a dismay for the idea that that grief or sadness is acceptable. What is that? Where does that come from? And, and why does it feel like it's such a part of the, the normative structure of our world? Um, to, de to default to the positive, you mean? Like, why do we go to... I'm yeah. Why, yeah, why is sadness just like disallowed? Such a good point. Hey, something I'm still exploring, but I feel that if we can't acknowledge what we see in ourselves, then we're not going to see it in other people. And so if you're not necessarily comfortable exploring your own depths and sorrows, like why would you be able to hold the space for somebody else? So I think it all comes back to having deeper conversations at younger ages, exploring grief, death, and other trauma with both a capital and lowercase t's in elementary schools. For instance, what about going around the circle at age five in kindergarten and talking about your first experience with grief, whether that was a goldfish or a grandparent or perhaps a parent or sibling at a younger age, then it gives per people permission to say things out loud that they currently do not. But we also kind of have a toxic positivity culture to, to a fault. I mean, depending who you ask, I'm sure there's some people that say, why are we always so positive? And some people would probably say, why are we all so negative as a society when really the middle ground is the sweet spot? But just getting more comfortable with talking about your quote unquote secrets to strangers, I think is something that will help our world feel more connected. It will help deepen our listening. And that's not to say you need to spill all your tea or and share very, very personal information with people online or in person just because. But ask yourself if you're not doing it at all you know, is that working for you? How's that going? Because if we all knew a little bit more about each other, then we understand our experiences more and have just more connection and understanding. So there'd be hopefully less of the of the tension and the trauma that we that we see across a multitude of sections in our world, not just grief related, right? We've seen a lot of things happen in this past year that clearly is a lack of conversation, a lack of compassion, a lack of listening. So that's what I think. What do you think? What is, yeah. what is your explanation? Well, I wonder what you think. Well, it's it's the human experience. And I, I think natively, though, I would wish that I didn't think it. I, to an extent, I believe that humans, we natively like to suffer. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's something about that that is ingrained in us where we go, it just should suck all the time. And I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily true. And so, you know, I, I think that a, a huge part of it, which you did touch base on, is the fact that we're not having the open conversation around these things. There's no there's no safety in talking about it. And and you have these experiences when you're young and there's death that is around you and people go either a like, OK, it's fine for a day and a half. Eat this casserole. Let's move on. And, or you have the opposite of it where you just never talk about it. And, and my experience was very much that you know, the murders of my best friends, the death of my mother, my grandmother, like just things I never talked about. And so, you know, one thing that I'm I'm curious about, because I know that often, and I've, I've been listening to this idea and this concept within myself after hearing it for a while, that we often either teach or support the things that we needed to learn. And I find that to be more so true every day. What was your experience to get to the place you are right now in terms of loss and grief in your life? Yeah, do you want, I mean I can I can talk about why I started the podcast and everything and yeah, thank you for sharing your own experiences. I'm looking forward to hearing um, more of those stories there when we do my show because I know you you've been through a lot as well and it's also not about comparing experiences but just like hearts up for the grief squad. Not that we want to be in it, but here we are. It makes a little 
better to ha- know that other people are in it too. But yeah, in, in third grade, my parents were diagnosed with ALS and breast cancer. And previously, my dad had actually had symptoms for three or four years. So they think that, you know, he probably had it closer to when I was four. And just having the official diagnoses when, within that year, my sister was six and I was eight. I remember them talking to us about hard subjects very young. When there was like this big convo, hey, you know, paralysis. And I, well, actually, that's a lie. I'm not sure if they talked to us about paralysis, but I think they did say, you know, it's possible your dad's body is going to change and your mom's hair is going to change and things like that. And I became really interested, not just about what they were saying, but how they were saying it and how it felt very unnatural and uncomfortable to talk to us about it. I remember that clearly. I don't fault them. These are big topics with young kids, but it became a part of my life, you know, for the rest of my life and and through today. So my dad had ALS through when I was like the day after I turned 19, when I was a freshman at USC and he was paralyzed for over a decade he moved into a care home when I was 12 and he he lived there for the rest of my life. So I would travel, you know, 45 minutes to see him like once or twice a week and just seeing it all. I mean, it's really all inspired by that experience, you know, seeing someone's life completely shift. You know, you can't necessarily work. Um, I mean, you can't. Many people's lives change for so many reasons. You can't feed yourself. You can't take a shower. I mean, paralysis is is a big deal. And also the interesting experience of not being paralyzed and then being paralyzed almost overnight. And yet it took a few years till he couldn't move at all. So I remember him walking around, you know, without the uses of, of his arms, but he could walk and he couldn't drive. And it was kind of this slow, slow progression of essentially his demise. I watched him die very slowly. So I think that really inspired me to search, right? Like what, what is the meaning of life and what is anticipatory grief and why do I feel this way? And how does he feel? And he would be very open with me about the, the pain that he felt, but you know, he was a lawyer and, you know, giving that up. And then he kind of switched careers to do real estate stuff. And he was even doing some online stuff. And then eventually just, you can't do even that. And he wrote he wrote a book about his life with his fingers and then with his toes for a while. And then he verbally communicated and someone else typed for a while. And then he lost his voice. So to be trapped inside your own body, I think, is one of the most tragic experiences that a human can endure. I am biased for having seen it. And yet even I, having seen it, cannot fully imagine it. But yeah, to, your brain is not affected with ALS, so you're completely intact. And yet you cannot communicate. And we're talking, you can't scratch your face. You can't blink an eye. You can't change the channel. You know, imagine being completely reliant on other human beings, especially if you're like the type of person who doesn't want to ask for help, which he wasn't, which I think a lot of us might be able to relate to that. So I said goodbye to him many times. I remember being pulled from school. You know, this surgery is unlikely to have positive results. So say anything you want to say. And then then he would survive. And that was great and yet also confusing. And when he finally died, it was almost a relief to my mom who had been caring for him for such a long time. And if you think about weird details, which I guess I'd rather not, but I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't have sex for the last 10 years. Like their relationship was very much 
a friendship at that point and also very, very complicated stuff. Like it's messy. Like it's like he would have moods. He would be depressed. He would freak out. He had anxiety medication because of the anxiety you're feeling of not being able to work out or physically exert your body or exert your feelings. So that is the main inspiration as to why I became curious with death. There were other things along the way of having lost all of my grandparents by 15. And I also lost a cousin when I was four and she was nine. And I mean, I will never forget that. Um, so I've had a lot of things along the way. And my dad was was the main one. And then I'll wrap up in a second. I know this is um, a bit of a tangent. But then my mom's breast cancer came back, stage four metastatic, um, a few years after my dad died, which she will then combat that for the rest of her life. So when my second parent was diagnosed with a terminal illness, I figured I have to do something about this. This has come into my life either for a reason or it hasn't. I don't know what I believe, but either way, I felt that it affected me enough to want to explore it further. And that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that. And, you know, in this, I believe that so much of the human experience and moving into these places where call it healing or call it understanding or acceptance or you know, whatever it is that we need comes through communicating about it. You know, and I, I have found that in my own journey, the the idea of like stuffing that down just played such a, a pivotal role in in my own self-destruction, not only about death, but, you know, about all the things about life in this experience. And I think that, and and this has been my experience, there's a certain sense of freedom of being able to not necessarily only let it go, but to process these things and to to move through continuing your life when you're able to discuss them. And so I think that that's a huge part of the journey. And so I have a, a vast amount of appreciation for your willingness to be able to help other people through that process, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know how else, the way I think about it is this, I believe we have a moral obligation to help people if we feel a calling to do so. If you mm -hmm. don't, fine, like whatever, you don't have to do about anything. Like that's not how the world works. But if you feel it within you, I think that there's a lot of beauty in going towards it. Um, one of the things that I, I really love about the aspect that you take in changing the conversation about this is stepping into it with laughter and the idea that comedy in whatever context it is, is allowed to exist within this dark space. Where does that come from for you? What What is it that you were just one day like, you know what, actually, maybe this could be funny in some weird way, right? Right. Well, thank you for saying all of that. You know, I think it, it went back from it went back to the time of, you know, being in elementary school with like a paralyzed dad and a mom with a bald head. Like, it's not funny, but it is like they just physically looked so different than other people's parents. You know, you have to start laughing at some point. I think I started laughing around then. Of course, I was very affected and, and it's not funny all the time. But I think a realizing at a young age like this is already bizarre. Um, and comedic, if you choose to see it that way, B, using laughter was a way that I felt I could make adults feel comfortable. I think that a lot of people looked at me like, ah, how are you feeling? How's it going? You know, people don't know what to say to, to young kids in this situation. So if I were to make a joke, if I were to infuse humor into the situation, then we, we felt okay. And I, and I learned that pretty early on. I was also acting at a young age and doing musical theater at the time three or four shows a year. And I was drawn to the comedic shows, the comedic roles, I think also because of my parents and their medical appointments. Like, you know, that was kind of like my 
daycare are my thing. So finding my people there as well as along with just realizing that I have to tell jokes to make people feel okay, which as a lot of comedians do, self-deprecation can be to a fault. You know, you want to make sure you're processing your emotions in a safe way at, at some point besides just putting yourself down. Like I always say, my stand-up and my sessions in therapy are the exact same thing through a different lens. I'm processing the exact same things, but in stand-up, I'm making fun of it. And in therapy, I'm exploring it. So I think we all have those, those two sides to ourselves. And also for anyone who doesn't necessarily feel like they're resonating right now with the comedic lens on grief, I feel you. And I always say that comedy is tragedy plus time. That's a quote. I didn't come up with it, but it's true. You know, the week, day, month after someone dies, there's not a lot of room room for humor. And yet, depending on your situation, you might find yourself in a family who does crack jokes about it. Or if you don't, you might wish that you had. So I hear a lot of good stories in my counseling and podcast work about like, well, actually, the funeral was real. The funeral was really funny because this like they sent the wrong casket. They did this. My grandma slipped me a $50 bill. My uncle was high during his speech, like whatever. Things that are either A, hilarious, or B, so uncomfortable, bizarre, or comedic that you just have to laugh out of sheer will. So I became, I was exploring all of that through childhood. And then again, when my mom's terminal diagnosis came, and terminal is a, is a word I don't like to throw out there out of fear or to, to be alarming, but for lack of better words, you know, she received her diagnosis as to stage four breast, breast cancer. She had first had it 17 years earlier. I mean, we were kind of like laughing out of disbelief. We're like, why is this happening again? And also I was a little bit older, right? So I, I just thought, this is so painful. What can I do to make it less painful? And that was making jokes about it with my friends to myself um, in my standup. And through that, I've actually seen a shift in my mom, who was a lot more serious, I think, over the years has kind of opened up and she'll even make light of her own situation and mortality time to time, which, of course, is not for everyone. It's not about putting yourself in a position you don't want to be, but it's about choosing to see things a different way. So that was the road that I took. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love what you said about, look, it may not be for you, right? I, I often in my own life have attributed a ton of humor to some of the darkest experiences of abuse that I've ever been a part of. And sometimes my people are like, yo, dude, that's like over the line. And I'm like, but it's my life. I can say what I want about it. And so, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely spot on. I don't know that it's necessarily for everyone, but you know, laughter is medicine as they say. And I think that you, you can take that and you can, you can take ownership over it and it can help you in my experience really be able to process things in a way because I feel like without the jokes to a lot of the darkness, you know, and without the challenges of, of my own life of putting myself on stages and learning how to be a public speaker through comedy, I don't know if I could be talking to you right now. You know what I mean? And right. so I think there's a lot of power in that when you're in this and like, you're like, okay, well, maybe something about this is alluring to me in some capacity. How do you how do you kind of figure out the best way to handle grief in your life? Because while some people will hear this and go, yeah, OK, cool, I can entertain the idea of this comedy thing. Other people are like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. So how do you kind of like start to navigate the approach of, of working through this? Right, right. And let me be clear, I, I, too, think it is the worst thing on planet Earth. And it is never to 
take away from that. And hopefully by even listening to what I'm saying now, like it, it's, it's clear that I, you know, it, it's a very serious thing. And even my podcast episodes, people don't know what to expect. And like, some are really funny and I have comedians on and, you know, we're shooting the then some people are sobbing hysterically. Like not all the episodes are funny. It's just that in every interview, I at minimum ask them about a comedic element of their journey or things like asking their person's name. And it's just kind of to show it, it's just a it's a lens to show people that like, hey, this is a safe space for you. This isn't like an ancient, you know, we're a 50 plus grief group and we're talking angels and blah, 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 and finding meaning through X, Y, Z rainbows or Bibles. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there are um, powerful elements to that as well. But I think it's also just a way for people to be like when they're searching through grief things and then they come across my stuff like, oh, that's different or, oh, like I am from a funnier family. So this resonates. So that's kind of just the way that the dots are connected there. In terms of advice for processing grief yourself, again, comedy equals tragedy plus time. So it, it is very possible you don't find things funny right away. Some recommendations I would have are the dinner party is a virtual grief group. It used to be in person and perhaps we'll come back in person. I lead virtual grief groups through there and there's plenty of tables that you can join. And it's people in their 20s through 40s who are exploring grief and there's tables specific to parents, specific to siblings, specific to friends. Um, specific to BIPOC individuals and what have you. My mine is exploring humor. Excuse me, mine is exploring grief through humor. So there are things like that. But I would say find an individual that you can talk to about your experience. And if you don't have one, there's things like these virtual grief groups, which I always think even if you do have a best friend or family member that you feel comfortable talking to, there's something really powerful and badass about opening up to a group of strangers. But what you're going through and just you know, they don't know you. So there's not that inherent judgment or thought process. So finding a group like that, the dinner party is completely free. There's also a buddy system on there. So if you do prefer one-on-one, -on -one, they can match you with someone who lost someone in a similar way to your own. I also recommend virtual therapy. I've been in virtual therapy for a year or of course, in-person therapy is lovely too. I use the platform BetterHelp. There are many out there and they're popular for a reason. They're also more affordable. And if you are bedridden or disabled in some way, like my dad was, then there's possibilities for you to access therapy from your own home, which is really beautiful as well. I would also say just start to explore how you're feeling now and yet marking your calendar. I mean, this sounds bizarre, but like it's common to push your grief aside and figure like riding the momentum of life is something that we do. Like in college, I just rode the momentum of the busyness and craziness of college. I don't feel that I really started processing my grief till about five years later. And even marking your calendar with something as bizarre as like check in with self, check in with feelings, check in with grief, whatever you want to call it. You can also just put on your calendar a butterfly and not tell anyone what you're doing and really take an hour a month, hour a week, whatever you can do and say, how am I really feeling about this? I'm a fan of the free write journal. I resisted this for years. People say this, but it's true. Writing everything down, like literally as much as you can setting a time where they say for 10, 15 minutes and just going for it. I feel bizarre. I feel crazy. I don't know how I feel. I feel sad. I miss my person. I don't know what to say. This exercise is, someone told me to do it, blah, blah, blah. Like you just have to get what you're, you have to get it out, you know? And some people use exercise. Some people use journaling. Some people use like venting on the phone to their friend or whatever. Whatever your thing is for you, you got to get it out because it will be trapped inside of you and it, and it will come out um, years later. So the dinner party, journaling. Uh, there's a book called Modern Loss, Candid Conversations uh, About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. I think that's a good beginning guide to exploring grief. Um, you can also, my podcast has a lot of episodes of young people grieving. So if you 
just want to listen to other people's stories as a way to process your own. That's why I love podcasts. I know you love podcasts. You have a podcast. You can learn so much about yourself from tapping into someone else without having to cross the awkward barrier of like, hey, I'm so-and-so and my mom died and I saw your mom died. So like, let's chat. It's just like, you can listen to this person talk about their grief and learn what, you know, hear what they have to say. And, and you can, you can benefit tremendously from that way as well. Yeah. And there's so much power in, in human connection. And I really want to like go into that for a moment, because I think that we often come from this thought process that we have to go through this process alone mm -hmm. or that we can only have this process when something happens. And I'm, I'm such a big proponent of community because I look at and I understand the truth that no one's ever been able to really navigate this thing we call life on their own. It's seemingly impossible. And so there is just a tremendous amount of value that comes from being in these groups. And I've shared with the Unbroken Nation before. I've been in SA and NA and AA and all the A's and I've gone to all the things and done all the stuff and been in men's help group and men's supports group and, you know, adult survivors, childhood trauma groups and all the groups, right? Just trying to make meaning and understand shit, like trying to figure out like what is going on. And I'll say this because I know there's people listening and they're going to be like, yeah, I've thought about that. I looked at the date. I wrote it down. I put it in my calendar. I drove there. I got in the parking lot. I didn't go in the door. One of the most important things is just going in the door, right? And, and the fear that comes along with that is, you know, I, I recognize that. I understand it. I would imagine that you would agree as well. We, we all have that fear of the judgment, the shame of the guilt. But I have found walking in and being in those rooms or picking up that phone or writing that text has been the difference between a lot of success and failure in my life. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Thanks for sharing that about just getting in the door. It, it is the, in some ways the hardest part, but it's, in, it's the best part. And, and it's, it's something to be really, uh, you should be really proud of yourself if you do make that move. So I'm glad that you've sh shared about your own experiences getting in those doors too. Yeah, I, I agree. And, the, and people in those rooms are there to support you. That's why they're called uh, support groups. Um, Shocking. <laughs> I know. It's like wild how they did that. It is. It is. So one of the things I'm curious about, and, and I have found that a, a lot of benefit comes from this idea of giving to people when you are at your lowest, giving mm -hmm. to people when you're suffering, giving to people, you know, to help them, even while you're through the process of helping yourself. And I know that you mentioned when we first began that you're helping this nine-year-old child go through this grieving process right now during this pandemic. What is the importance of, of giving for you and what kind of role does that play in your life? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. That's a really, um, that's a strong question. Um, it's, it's like so complicated, um, my mentor relationship in the best way, but I will just say, wow, I have so much I could say about this. When you can't take any more give, I love that so much, you know, in, in this busy world when we're trying to make our next move or figure out what's next. And, you know, I know you're entrepreneurial, of course, and I am too. And so, you know, especially people trying to make their own way now online or whatever else, it's like so much of putting yourself out there. And when you can't take any more give, I think is really some of the best advice I've ever received. So there so I'll, I'll summarize what it's been like. And please cut me off at any time. Um, so last year, you know, what was a hard year? I was working for BuzzFeed at the time. I had just started their talent program. It was a talent residency, 10 of us after some screen tests and fun things. Like we're selected to do this thing, this program where we were being mentored to 
essentially become viral BuzzFeed people, no pressure. But I was so excited because like, it was cool, right? I was like, wow, this is such a great opportunity. And everything that I'm doing, like with grief, like maybe BuzzFeed, like who knows what can happen. It was super exciting. Like two days into that, everything closed. So we shifted to a virtual program. So we're making a lot of videos. So during the pandemic, I was making three to five videos a day for the first, I don't know how many months, three or four. And it was really awesome. It was also exhausting. And we had cool mentorship from like Instagram and like cool people like helping us to try and succeed online. And I felt this juxtaposition this the entire time, which is kind of the summary of, of my personality of like, this is so amazing. And the world is crumbling before our eyes. And there's such a bigger picture here. Um, you know, the grind of, of like wanting to succeed, but then knowing it's not the most important thing right now. All of my other acting and comedy, you know, experiences had been canceled. I was on a veil for a big commercials shot, my stand-up shows shot, my festivals, everything shot. I was supposed to MC the Young Survivals Coalition first stand-up show for breast cancer survivors. There was like 800 people. I'd booked the comedians. I was like hosting it. It was so cool um, and for a good cause. And the whole conference was canceled. Like all of these things was really, was really challenging for me. My mental health took a big dive. It was kind of the worst I've ever felt not about myself, I will say, but just about the world and and kind of my place in it since my dad had died, which has been, you know, 10, 11 years at this point. So the first thing I did was go into there, get into therapy. So yay, therapy, another plug for that. But I knew that there was more that I could do. Now, fast forward timeline, blah, blah, blah. I ended up being let go from the program early for not going viral. I wrote this essay about that experience, if anyone's interested, because it's kind of hard to explain. I'm in the process of um, getting that published right now. But I was like, I'm cut from this thing. I was the oldest one, even though I was still 29. I was like, you didn't go viral and you're cut. And it was like such a horrible feeling. I mean, I felt horrible about myself because I was making videos about grief and stuff I was proud of. But I mean, I have a lot to say about numbers and social media, which I kind of am saying and I'll kind of table at the same time. Okay, cut from the program. Then I ended up applying for a job at BuzzFeed as a producer. Got the job um, a few weeks later, which was both amazing and weird because some of the people that had let me go were like, oh, now you work here again and now you're like in charge of some things, which was really awkward, but cool. I pitched myself as I want to be a grief producer and produce viral content around grief. I wasn't necessarily in that content. I made really cool videos like losing a loved one to COVID-19, moms without children, talk to children without moms, like stuff I was like super passionate about. And I wasn't being looked at for like views. It was less personal and yet it was still a fit. So it ended up being really beautiful. That said, all in all, social media, I'm obsessed with it, but it's not fully for me. Like with my mental health, I can't, I realize I can't work in it every day. I lose my happiness around it. And so ultimately after a year, I decided to move on. And in the depths of my like depression around what am I going to do? I had these cool opportunities and virality and weird, but like it was about grief, but like it was still superficial because sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I don't know how else to say it. Super Social media just is. I decided to enter a one-on-one -on -one mentorship relationship through Walk With Sally. It's the equivalent of Big Sisters, but for families impacted by cancer. They said, we have a nine-year-old child whose mom has stage four breast cancer. 
my mom has stage four breast cancer. I thought this is rough, but I, but, but I'm inspired. And they put us together and we started meeting every week on zoom. And then once a month in person at the time, now we do more in person, but when it was all crazy McGee and we would go for walks and we would go to the beach. And now since then we've done some more interesting things we do like childhood yoga and art therapy and like shopping and beach days and all these cute things. And I became really close to her mom during the pandemic. Um, it was the best thing I ever decided to do. I found so much more meaning than that than in my job. Of course, you have to have jobs too. So I understand the, the balance of it all. And I thought this is what I meant to do. This is so rewarding. And it just, it, you know, I could, I could like live what I was doing. Like I was talking about grief online, but like I wanted more, I wanted uh, more, I guess, impact or when you can't take any more give. And I felt like I'd taken such a weird experience and I wanted to give. And so I just thought, why me? But if not me, who? And if not now, when? Now, unfortunately, a few months later, her mom didn't make it. And that was a really, really challenging experience because even someone who is prepared for these things, such as myself, it was still a shock. And she went into the hospital Christmas weekend and she didn't come out. And we're talking single mom, you know, we don't, Camila's dad is, you know, actually, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it, but the dad's not in the picture, right? And underprivileged community not necessarily having the financial resources that my mom has. And I mean, I just was heartbreaking to watch. So I knew we were going to be matched to talk about breast cancer. I didn't necessarily know we were going to be matched to talk about grief so soon. And yet here we were during a pandemic, also navigating that. And long story short, it's the best thing that I've, long story long, actually, because that was long, but it's the best thing I've ever done. It's one of the most rewarding things of my life. We're still actively in touch. We get together all the time. We talk all the time. And everyone's like, she needs a therapist. Like, oh, my God, this is wild. Well, guess what? I'm the therapist. Guess what? Not everyone has access to mental health resources. And there's so many, like, you know, cultural differences, like so many things standing in people's way. And it's not their fault. But just to even understanding what that could look like. So I felt like I had to really step up and I just did. She called me when her mom died and I was there the next day and we did a beach ceremony and processed and we continue to process. She's 10 now. And so that's a very long winded answer, but that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. It's powerful. And you know, I, I think that there's first off and there's something beautiful in it. So there I'm, I'm proud of you for being willing to step into that because we're, we're faced with the opportunity to impact change in people's lives. And I think often it's lost on us the reality that a single person being impacted by what we can give them will pay dividends in ways that we can never fully understand. And so many people are like, yeah, but if it's not 10,000 people, why bother? And I'm like, well, maybe one person, right? Maybe one person. And I'm not saying don't help 10,000 people, like for sure do that too, right? But that's if you're called to it. That's if you see it. If it's if it bothers you, if it keeps you awake at night, if you're like, I know I need to do this, then at some point, because I'm going to assume you had fear in stepping into this, you just have to be like, I'm going to do it anyway, because the the difference between your decisions in life, they play a huge role. 
one of the things as, as we start to tell off here that I'm really curious about is as you step into what's next in your life, what's your mission around grief in this conversation? What is it that you want to try to accomplish with this? Wow. Big question. Hey, no, no pressure there. What is your life's mission? I mean, I, and thank you for, for saying those nice things. I, I mean, I hope to continue elevating the mission of exploring grief through comedy specifically and hopefully doing more. I talk about, I have two different things that I do. I talk about it in my standup and that's strictly jokes, but also would hope to continue the mission with exploring this in schools, like being booked to help kids in schools, being booked in personal speaking engagements and continuing to explore this like for father for fatherless father's day this year i did an online workshop explore exploring grief through comedy and that was just one of my favorite things i've ever done so continuing that and continuing to show up each week on the podcast much like yourself and above all else continuing the conversation on the other side of thing i would love to play a role in a scripted dark comedy about death you know on my actress side which is a different mission than my personal life um but on, from a career point of view, like I want to make and be a part of all content talking about dark comedy and pertaining to grief over there. But that's a little bit more up to other people. You don't have quite as much control as an actress as to when and how that happens. And it is and it will and it does. Um, and yet these are the things that bring me joy. Of You get to make your own mission. You get to put yourself out there. So that's what I'm continuing to do. Yeah, I love that. There, there's always space for the parlay. You can chase the dreams and build the career that you want understanding everything that you just said and still spend all of your time over here trying to fulfill your soul. And hopefully you do both at the same time. In my experience, I think it's possible, you know, as I always tell everyone, a little patience, right? Um, my, my last question for you, um, or excuse me, before I ask you my last question, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. Yes. I'm on Instagram at Chelsea, who else? Like that's who else but Chelsea. You can also Google Chelsea Lyndon Lloyd. And then my podcast account is the Dying of Laughter podcast on Instagram or the Dying of Laughter podcast on all the podcast places or on Facebook. I'm starting to blog more and I actually just got verified on Facebook yesterday. So that was kind of exciting. Cool. Awesome. And and I will say this for the people listening right now, because I know I'm talking to you, the person listening who's like, none of that was funny. Yeah, go listen to the podcast. <laughs> so my last question for you, my friend, is what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Ooh, love that. Yeah. And you're like, where's the, I thought this was supposed to be funny. Yeah, you can also Google like Chelsea Lloyd stand. Like you can see the other side of it and then maybe it'll make more sense. But I like to keep it real on the on the interviews. Um, what does it mean to be unbroken? To be unbroken means to rise up with resilience and continue forward through the face of adversity and dark times. I love it. Poignant, simple, beautiful. Chelsea, my friend, thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review, and you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends, and until next time, be unbroken.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.